If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jennifer Nash. Hi, Dr. Nash. Hi, how are you doing? Great. And it's Valentine's Day, so we were just like contemplating about pink, and I just love what you're wearing today, and just feel the energy of pink. (laughs) Well, we're sending it out to everybody that's listening and watching and hoping they're having a wonderful day as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, let me share a little bit about Dr. Nash. She is a leadership expert and consultant to Fortune 50 organizations such as Google, Ford, ExxonMobil, JP Morgan, IBM, Boeing, and Verizon. She is the founder and CEO of Jennifer Nash Coaching and Consulting, helping successful leaders connect people and performance to deliver exceptional results. Jennifer's 25-year resume includes serving in executive and leadership roles at Deloitte, consulting, and Ford Motor Company, and as an adjunct professor at the University of Michigan. She contributes to Harvard Business Review, has presented her research at Columbia University, and is a Harvard McLean Institute of Coaching Fellow. Well, so happy to have you here, Dr. Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here today. And what do you like to be called? Uh, Jennifer's fine. Oh, Jennifer. Okay. So do you feel that we all have a leader within us? I do. You know, you've often heard the phrase like leaders at all levels. I believe that we all have innate leadership skills and it's a question of, do we choose to develop them or do we choose to set them aside and focus on other things? Mm. Interesting. So how can we become better leaders, especially for people who may not think they're a leader or who may not want to lead? Um, Because when I think of a leader, it doesn't necessarily have to be a leader in an organization or having your own business. You could be a leader in your life. Absolutely. You know, I have a lot of people come to me and say, well, you know, you wrote this book, Be Human, Lead Human, but I'm not a leader in an organization. Does this apply to me? Yeah. And what I often tell them is absolutely like you are a leader in many different areas of your life. You probably just haven't thought about it that way. So think about for a second, if you're a parent, right? Mm-hmm. You probably want to emulate some type of behavior or values that you want your children to you know, assimilate and and start to uh, role model as well, right? And mm-hmm. in that way, you're a leader for your children to help them grow and evolve into the human beings that they're meant to be. Yeah, good point. Good point. That That's amazing. So, and, and what if you don't have kids? I mean, do you have kids? I do not personally have kids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are many people in that situation as well that don't have kids, yet they still want 
or are leaders in different areas of their lives. Think about just the small example of, you know, going to the store and holding the door open for someone either in front of you or behind you. Oh, that's beautiful. I never thought about that as being a leader, but I can see that. Yeah. Or even, you know, in a, in a situation where maybe you're doing an extracurricular activity or maybe you're volunteering um, in your community or through your church or, you know, through a sports organization, perhaps you're coaching, you know, soccer or you're doing something that, you know, helps you broaden another person's skill set and improves their life. That's a leader to me. Yeah. Absolutely. And you could be a leader in a relationship like a romantic relationship or friendship. Um, that is, you know, a give and take. So how can we become better leaders? You know, I think there's a couple ways that we can become better leaders. And when I talk about this, it's not just through the lens of, you know, business or having a P&L, you know, a profit and loss statement, right? Or having a, you know, a lot of people that report to you or having the title of leader. It's around understanding who you are as a human being and what are the values that guide you in your decision making. And so when you think about that from that perspective, you know, leaders have to lead themselves first. Mm. And how do they do that? Well, they know what they value and prioritize and what helps them make their decisions in their lives. And it's typically going back to what do we value and prioritize and, and place importance on in our lives. Yeah, that's interesting. And and sometimes when you think about leaders that we look up to, they might not have the following in the beginning. And so they have to be the leader themselves and believe in what they're doing in order to get others to be leaders and follow them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I like to say like, you can't lead someone else until you lead yourself effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So if someone is an, a leader in an organization, how can they empower others to feel like they're leaders and can make a difference? Yeah. So I think one of the key factors of an effective leader is helping those people around them grow and evolve as well. Hmm. So providing that space for the people that you are leading to take risks, for example, you know, help them feel psychologically safe so that they are empowered to go out and have that autonomy and take that stretch assignment or do something that they haven't done before without fear of retribution, you know, help them develop that skill that they have in themselves so that they can then turn around and have that ripple effect on others as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great because a person may not be technically the leader in a group or an organization, but if you have that culture that you're talking about, then maybe as, as a, like a more flat culture where um, the leadership is blurred, like what do you think is best for an organization? So in the past, we had organizations that really operated like in the military, right, where things are very yes. hierarchical, where things were very command and control, if you will, that was the terminology yes. that was used. Right. I worked in space and airborne. Space oh, and airborne. there you go. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so you understand. Like yeah. 
Yeah. So everything was very top down mm -hmm. and very like deterministic, right? Like, here's what I want you to do. Here's when I want you to do it by here's how I want you to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But often there was a lack of like, why is this important? And how does this fit into the bigger picture? Yeah. What's right? the meaning? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so today, you know, I was just looking at some research yesterday that said that, you know, the younger, the Gen Z, they really want salary to be their most important consideration for a job. And the second important consideration for them is, is growth. You know, they want to develop while they're at work. And so one of the things I would encourage people to think about today is organizations are places where people need to come to grow and to work. It's no longer a place where you just go to work and you clock in and clock out and go home. You need to be able to grow and evolve as a person and as a human being while you're at work doing work that you find purposeful and meaningful and that has value. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So if someone is in an organization and they're feeling like not so much purpose and they're not really feeling the meaning behind what they're doing, what can an organization do? Would it be like offer personal development classes or connect more with the mission of the company, like go on a retreat? I don't know. What are what are some of your suggestions to find that meaning? So, you know, it tacks back to what we were talking about before, right? Where leaders, when they are effective, they know how to lead themselves because they have that internal GPS. Mm. And so I would encourage them to look at what are those values that are guiding their decision-making, right? Mm. And so for each employee, that could be a different set of values. Maybe you, one of your highest values is autonomy. Mm. You want to be able to set your own work schedule and work when it works best for you and just get the work done in that way. Mm. Another person may value um, lifelong learning yeah, as their top value. And so if you and this organization can say, you know what, we're going to, uh, we're going to cover your tuition to go back and take that adult ed class, or oh we're going to cover your tuition for you to take an AI class or whatever right. it could be. Right. Right. And so tailoring that to each person and understanding what's important to them is how you can start to find out what is their value and what is the purpose that they assign to their work. Oh, wonderful. So how can they find that out? Is there a quiz? Like, how do you start with organizations? Yeah. So there's a, I have an assessment on my website. It's oh, a great. assessment. You want to so give it? Go ahead and give your website. Yeah. So it's Dr. Jennifer Nash, drjennifernash.com and then forward slash HLI, okay. which is the website for the, um, the assessment. And it's complimentary. They can go out and take that and that'll give them a starting point to identify what the values are that they are using today and perhaps the values that they may want to consider going forward if they are different from what they have today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder if there are sometimes people within an organization who may feel after they take this quiz and maybe if the organization isn't providing these values and giving them fulfillment, then they might have to look other places, look for another job, start their own business. I mean, there could be some consequences behind this quiz, right? Yes, absolutely. And we see that, right? We started to see that during COVID. 
Mm. with the pandemic and how it was shifting how and when and where and why we work. And people all of a sudden started to realize just because it's been done this way for so long, doesn't mean it has to be done this way going forward. And, oh, you know what? I think there's got to be more to this equation. And not only do I think that, but now I'm ready to act on it. And mm -hmm. so we saw this massive shift, right? We saw the great resignation and we're still seeing that organizations are still having trouble filling roles today because I think partly they aren't adapting and evolving to what is on top mm -hmm. of people's minds today and what's important to them and how they work and oh. when and where they work. That makes sense. That makes sense. So either organizations have to adapt to like meet this changing population, or mm -hmm. I guess another solution would be outsourcing, but then the culture isn't built the same, right? Well, I think it depends. You know, I okay. think one of the things that organizations can do is really take a step back mm. and look at how are they handling the whole talent life cycle? You know, what are they getting as an output? And if they're not happy with that, where do they need to work backwards in the process and reverse engineer so that they get to the outcome that they are desiring? And mm -hmm. maybe that starts at the beginning with how they are attracting talent and where they are placing the priority in that process. Mm -hmm. Maybe employees now get to say, hey, this is important to me. These are the values that I have. Are my values aligned with the organization's values and what it believes and what its mission is and what its purpose is? And if it's not, then maybe that that potential employee is better suited to go look somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, what are some mistakes to avoid when leading people? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's like 387 right now. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the very least, right? Oh, okay. Well, there's, there's a couple that come to mind right away. So there's one that we talked about already, right? Which is defaulting to that old school, like command and control. It just doesn't work anymore. And organizations that are stuck in that mindset and stuck in that model of operating will lose the talent war going forward. I think that's one key thing to be aware of. Mm. I think the second thinking, key thing to be aware of is if you cannot adapt and evolve, to what employees are asking for today and ex almost expecting in a way today, um, you will also not have the talent that you need to help your organization survive. Yeah. So I think that's the second thing, right? So if leaders aren't able to shift how they think about and practice leadership for this new world of work, um, that creates many problems on multiple levels going forward. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. And I think the third thing is that, you know, right now there's this fear that AI is going to take away all our jobs, right? <laughs> That's very prevalent today. Everyone's afraid of AI because they think it's going to take away their job. And mm -hmm. I would offer a different perspective. You know, if, if the organization is operating in that way and laying off because they want to have more R&D to put into AI, that could be the case, right? Yeah. But at the same time, that organization also needs to realize that being human in the age of AI is what is going to make the difference for that organization to survive and thrive going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So you may need R&D in technology development, but I would invite you to think about that you also need R&D 
in soft skills, in the skills that help us interact with AI and make us effective in working with this new technology. Mm. For example, asking the right questions. Exactly. Yes. And when you think about it, it's a lot of the stuff that we learn over on the humanities side of the house, right? So asking great questions, asking open-ended questions, um, learning how to um, discern if the information that's coming out of the AI tool is valid or not, right? We have a lot of critical thinking is a skill that is desperately needed in that way. We have domain knowledge where employees who have been with organizations for a long time, you know, they have this great institutional knowledge. AI needs context. And so if we as humans don't provide that context to AI, AI's outputs will be irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. You know, about 20 years ago, I'm just contemplating this. I was dating a guy who his job title was knowledge management. Isn't that interesting? So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And and so it, it just seems like there could be a role in interacting with AI with that, that kind of job. Or, um, I mean, it's just interesting because if some of the jobs are being taken away, what are the jobs taking away? Is it writing? Is it computer programming? Like what kind of jobs does AI take away? I know we're not trying to build that fear, but, but I, I don't know. I have, have you worked with organizations that are doing that? So I would say that the jobs that are, I would say there are pieces of jobs that pieces. maybe okay. are more being um, taken over by AI. Okay. So for example, like a lot of repetitive tasks. Okay. Things that we would spend, like data entry, right? Before we had um, um, relational databases and things like that, you know, we'd have to put in the line by line entries in Excel. Those are things that AI can take over. Mm -hmm. And that's um, nice. I mean, unless yeah. people enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I think what's going to happen is, you know, that the percentage of time that you spend in your job on these repetitive tasks or these very transactional tasks that have a defined formula that follow a pattern and you can program AI to do that, those are what is gonna be taken over. The parts that won't be taken over are still those that are immensely human, right? The part where we need communication with each other and with AI to help it work properly. Collaboration, right? And teamwork to work with our teammates to create that innovation and be creative in that way to move the organization forward with new products and services that don't exist today. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, what, how do you distinguish between a human leader and uh, a regular leader? <laughs> I mean, because this yeah. whole idea of human makes me think of sci-fi and robots. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. I love that question. So, you know, I get that often, you know, people yeah, ask me, sure. what do you call it? Be human, lead human. I'm like, well, aren't we all just leaders? Aren't we all leading humans? Well, you know, I use a lot of examples in a lot of the talks that I give to illustrate that often when we think we're leading people, we're not really leading people. We're leading processes. Okay. Right? Or we're leading procedures or we're leading rules that are in the HR book for example, right? So, so for example, there's a, there's a CEO of a baby clothing company 
um, that recently had an employee ask her, hey, you know, I, I just adopted a child and I would like to work remotely because this child is in the NICU. And yeah. they wanted to be, have that flexibility so that they could support, you know, what their baby needed right when they adopted them and is in critical condition, but yet still fulfill their obligations to the organization in a way that, you know, worked, helped the employee fulfill their parental and their employee obligations. And so the CEO of this baby clothing company, who is a parent herself, um, rejected the opportunity for this employee to work remotely and, and then fired her. Now, I look at that and go, okay, to me, that is an example of someone who is not being a human leader. Well, it's also incongruent. Also, it seems with the service or the products that they're providing. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, this, this leader, instead of choosing to prioritize the person and put that at the forefront of her decision making, she chose to rely on the process and the procedure that was in the HR manual and denied the request, right? So she prioritized process and procedure over the person. Hmm. So when I say human leadership, what I mean is if that CEO had acknowledged this person who's in front of them saying, look, I have this really tough situation right now. I still want to produce and perform for you. I just need to do it in a little bit of a different way. And I need to do it remotely for a while until my child is out of the NICU. You know, that would have been leading humanly, right? Humanely yeah. and leading as a human leader, as opposed to a leader who prioritized procedure or rules over the human. Yes. Does that make sense? Did So does someone share the story with you? It's a real story. It's a, yeah. it's a CEO of the baby clothing company here in Texas, actually. Yeah, it's all it's been all over the news. And then, you know, there was a tick they went on TikTok to issue an apology to the employee. Oh my God. On and it was a scripted apology from her legal team. And she read the apology verbatim on TikTok and then got awful because she was very inhumane and in delivering it and wasn't authentic and didn't really mean it. And then because you know, that didn't go so well. She decided to go unscripted and do a second TikTok and try to apologize again. So you can imagine like, you know, the crisis that this company is in right now and the, you know, the PR issue that they're having as well as they're losing, they've lost a lot of their customer base because of this. Wow. Those consequences are huge. And I'm sure she didn't think about any of that, you know, um, so it's just interesting. It feels like karma. It almost feels spiritual that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like have, have that compassion for your employees and maybe your business will thrive. Yeah. 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 So human leadership, you know, there's a, there's a set of principles that I have that I offer in one of my talks around, you know, what are the key practices and principles of human leadership? And, you know, that is one of them, right? Where you, you prioritize the person in the equation as opposed to the process or the procedure or the productivity or the profits. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Well, would you share your own journey to finding the leader within you? Sure. Um, so, I, <laughs> so I started out um, after undergrad working in the automotive industry. Hmm. 
And I did that for quite a while, um, working on customer service lines, um, speaking French and Spanish to our customers um, uh, in North America. Uh And so, you know, a lot of that work really helped me um, prioritize the person, you know, because I was listening to them and trying to understand what they needed um, so that I could support them and help resolve their problem. And so, you know, that's really where I started my journey to leadership, you know, was in that space. And I, you know, rose up in the, you know, up the career ladder and I led some teams and doing that kind of work. And then, you know, I transitioned into another organization. Um, And that was where I saw that leaders um, are not all the same, you know, and I had a leader who was amazing. And I'm like, well, why are there not more leaders like this? You know, because I had some good leaders but I didn't have some great or outstanding leaders. Mm-hmm. And so I was really intrigued about why that was. And so it prompted me to go back and get an MBA, you know, and learn more wow. about like what makes leaders effective. Um, and then it prompted me to go get my PhD where I wanted to understand more about the connection between leadership and coaching and, you know, what makes that relationship work and how is that effective from that perspective. Um, and then I left the corporate world after 25 years um, because I just needed to be out of the box because I think a little bit yeah. differently out of the box. Yeah. Anyway. And so I started my own business um, and I just celebrated my fifth birthday. Uh, and so now I get to, you know, share my thoughts on leadership and, you know, serve the world in that way. And I, I couldn't be happier. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And I'm thinking about my own career path actually at um when i was at uh, space and airborne systems the aerospace company they were really supportive of me and what i needed but i didn't have what you're talking about i didn't clearly say what are my values and all of that but but it just seemed to naturally happen. Like they gave me a big budget. They gave me employees. They they lifted me up. They gave me training. They gave me leadership training. And they were just, I think at the time they were really promoting women. And so they were super sensitive. (laughs) It seemed that way um, that they wanted, they were very encouraging and everything. And so it was, it was really great. And then, and then I had another job where they went on vacation in a very small department and, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was like newly out of grad school and it seemed that they were jealous of me and I got fired. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) because when they were on vacation, I had set up teams because I didn't know what to do. And so I was asking all these people. So I set up an interdisciplinary team from all these departments. And then people started coming to me and she didn't like that. So she made up an excuse to fire me. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like that other leader from the children's clothing company, it was legal. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh you know it's 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 always interesting it's always been fascinating to me why people behave the way that they behave. Mm-hmm. And what are the drivers that cause that behavior, you know? And and ultimately it usually comes down to something that they believe. Mm-hmm. And the behavior that you've exhibited has challenged that belief that they have. Mm-hmm. And so there's a fear there and there's an uncertainty there. 
And typically when people are afraid or they're uncertain, you know, they just want status quo, right? Our bodies really work well in equilibrium. And so we try to get back to that status quo. And then what happens is the system always ejects the outlier. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just think it's really interesting. So I want to hear about your book, Be Human, Lead Human. Is this based in all your years of research? And do you have a lot of stories in there? What does that mean? I do actually. Yeah. So my book, um, <clears throat> as I mentioned before, like I, you know, really am always intrigued by why people do what they do. And I think a lot of that for me stems from the fact that when I went into the when I, when I went into the workforce, you know, I had a background in foreign languages and in dance and in music. And so for me, walking into an office and sitting in a cubicle and trying to figure out why people behave the way they did and why they talked in sports language, just, it was really like, I felt like I had been dropped onto Mars. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just started observing and trying to understand the world around me in this new context. And so that was sort of the basis for starting the book. I really started writing it like 30 years ago, if, you know, when you think about it that way. Yeah. Um, and then during my PhD, I spent a lot of time researching to understand, you know, what organization, where are organizations today? You know, where are their leaders today? What, it, what is happening with them? And so I took all of that research that I had done and put it into this book um, that really helps people become, you know, their best human selves that they can possibly be at a meta level, right? Yeah. So you don't have to be a leader. You don't have to have the title of leader in an organization. You don't have to have a P&L. What you do need to be is sentient and human. And, you know, this book will help you get to the desired outcome that you have for your life. Doesn't matter what that is, because you can create a customized plan, you know, through the book as in the framework of the book. Mm. I really love the color. It's just very bright and um, beautiful. And I feel like this could be a TED talk. Are you a TED, a TED speaker? Oh, it's funny you mentioned that. So I'm actually, um, I have a TEDx coach right now and I'm going oh. to the different TEDx locations. And so we'll see who says yes. Okay. Well, it's in process. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. It, it just yeah. feels so in alignment with the messages that they, they like to share, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, positivity, inspiring, and, and so much heart, um, compassion. Well, and I understand you were a finalist for the best book award. <laughs> I was, I was, yes. And I actually, this week, I just got noticed that um, my book won another award, which I was just so amazed by and grateful for, um, that it won the Business and Leadership Award for the International Impact Book Award. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That Thank is you. exciting. Mm -hmm. And also you were number one Amazon hot new release in business mentoring and coaching. Yeah. So that's great. And why do you feel like this book resonates for so many people? You know, I think it resonates because it's an invitation to think differently about how we define leadership. And I think there's been this undercurrent, particularly since COVID, that, you know, we don't have to accept status quo anymore. And in fact, to survive and thrive, we can't accept status quo. And I think there's been this pent up demand for something different, for a different way forward. 
And we see that in, you know, how people are reacting to the mandates of work from home and work, or sorry, return to office. Um, we see that in um, how, you know, Gen Z is, um, <laughs> Gen Z has actually been using ChatGPT to get career guidance as opposed to their human manager at work. And so, oh, interesting. Yes. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a, there's the desire for people to reconnect in a world where technology seems to bring us closer together, but it divides us through screens. And we've lost a lot of that social glue. We've lost a lot of the ability to have those conversations in real life, in person, um, just like we're doing today, you know, without our thumbs, without a screen in the, well, we have a screen, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, without our thumbs. But um, and I think it's just, it's resonating for people because it's, an, it's, 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 it's hope for a different way forward that works for, works for all, not just a few. Mm, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So how can organizations elevate the experience of their employees so that they can thrive? Oh, such a great question. And there's so many different ways that organizations can do that. Yeah. You know, I think one of the fundamental ways organizations can do that is just simply ask the question, how can we make this experience the best experience you've ever had in an organization? Oh, right? wow. I've never been asked that. I mean, Me I've been either. an entrepreneur for, for years now, but like before that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was never asked that either. So, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if you started mm -hmm. a job somewhere and, and the onboarding person says, how can we make this the best experience you've ever had? What yeah. would that look like to you? I mean, I would just be floored if I heard a question like that. And that would tell me that like this organization and their culture is so different. Mm -hmm. I want to be part of that, you know, because they're yeah. valuing me. They see me. Right. And I matter to them. Like, that's amazing. That's an amazing signal to send to someone. Yeah. And, and elevating their own sense of worth, you mm -hmm. know, because it might, I know for me, it might take a, a little bit to process this and, and really think, okay, well, if it's my decision, okay, I don't know, like, where do I start? Like, exactly. And then that goes back to what we talked about before, which is what are the, what is your internal GPS, right? What are those mm -hmm. values that are guiding you that, that, and you find important for your life? And what do you want, you know, and what do you want from work? And mm -hmm. at different stages in our lives, those answers are usually different, right? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. And what about individual coaching? Do you offer that as well? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do individual coaching. Mm -hmm. um, I also do speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. um, I do some consulting work and I do leadership assessment work and I go into organizations and train them on, you know, human leadership and the different principles and practices of that and how to develop your, essentially how to develop your workforce and help them grow and evolve. Wow. That sounds amazing. No wonder why so many organizations hire you. <laughs> it's just great to see. It feels like the consciousness of humanity is raising that they hire you and feel like this is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I think now more than ever, it's so important for organizations to recognize that that human element is what will give them that competitive advantage going forward. 
Mm, yes. Yeah. To get people clamoring to work there. Um, and, and, you know, I worked a lot in tech. I worked Facebook, Amazon, Google, um, doing uh, health consulting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, I noticed they they do a lot, especially in Silicon Valley. <laughs> they try to compete. I mean, yeah. just things that you just couldn't even imagine. And and having a day off for creativity once a week, and um, just just amazing. Oh, was that you? Did you suggest that to them to Google? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't suggest that to Google. Oh, I, I okay. Fascinating. I yeah. would love to know like what percentage of their people actually use that time, you know? It's true. Uh, because when I was there, I would say, okay, this is my opinion. I didn't do research. I would say about a quarter, a quarter of them would use the time because they they seemed like they really wanted to work. They were just like, motivated. I mean, and the food was like incredible, you know, it's like <laughs> all you could eat buffets and, you know, you could, you consulted with them. So, you know, um, but I just think it's interesting seeing, because I think they can be leaders in attracting the right talent and showing, well, this is important because we are getting more employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think leader and organizations can also, you know, they can frame how they, you know, um, structure the cultural fabric of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. How do they help people feel heard, right? Mm -hmm. How do they help people feel understood? How do they help people feel that they matter, right? These things that are in my framework in the book, you know, how do they help people feel appreciated? Right. Mm -hmm. When somebody pulls that all nighter or a couple nights in a row to get that deliverable done for the client, you know, how is that recognized? Yeah. And is it recognized in a way that is meaningful for the person and that the person would prefer? Or is it just, oh, like we're going to shout you out at the town hall? And maybe even though you don't like public recognition, we're going to do it that way anyway. Yeah. Because it, it it's going to make them look good or whatever exactly. <laughs> they recognize. Yeah. Well, what about, in your opinion, where do behaviors come from and how can we change them? You know, I, I, this is, this is something that just fascinates me and I'm still learning about it. I think that our behaviors come from our thinking and our thinking is shaped by what we learn from the adults around us, you mm -hmm. know, as we're young and we evolve and grow. Yeah. And so if that circle of humans around us continues to change as we evolve and grow, then perhaps our thinking will continue to change and evolve and grow. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it stays stuck where, you know, we have those original beliefs and those original patterns of thinking um, that we grew up with. And those are the models. That's what we default to. Like it's our mental model, like Peter Senge would say. So I'm still learning all about that. But I think if you think about it from an iceberg standpoint, right, the behaviors are what we see above the waterline, right? They're the mm -hmm. tip of the iceberg. But what drives those behaviors are our actions, which is the, the part right below the waterline. Mm -hmm. And then our actions are driven by our, our thinking, which is at the very bottom of that iceberg, which is way down below, way deep down below. And some of those things I think are so deep that they become subconscious beliefs and we have to elicit and tease them out often maybe through counseling or through some type of support that helps us even understand 
where is it coming from and why are we behaving and thinking that way? And if it isn't working for us today, what do we need to shift and change to then help it serve us in a more effective way? Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, the name of this podcast is Zen Success. So I was just Mm -hmm. curious, what is Zen Success to you? Oh, I love that. So for me, um, my Zen, I am in Zen in a few different places. So one of them is when I'm on the beach surrounded by water. Oh, wonderful. I love that. It's just like my, one of my happy places. Um, another Zen for me is when I am in nature, you know, maybe walking in the woods or, you know, just being surrounded by, you know, bird song and like, you know, palms, you know, swaying in the breeze kind of thing. Um, And the third place for me that I have Zen is around the dance floor. So I'm a competitive ballroom dancer and I love to dance and I love to just get lost in the music and be present in the moment. And so that for me is, is Zen success. Oh my gosh. So how can we have more of that in our lives? (laughs) You know, so one of the things I so love about dance is that it forces me to be present. Mm. And I think it's in those moments where we can be present that we can be immersed with Zen and be one with Zen. Mm. Think when you're so focused on what's coming ahead or what did I forget to do? What did I, what's coming up tomorrow? What do I need to be making sure that I get done tonight so that I'll be ready for tomorrow or, you know, ruminating on what happened in the past or what didn't go well or beating ourselves up because we didn't achieve a certain something. And we just keep staying in that space of reliving that, you know, those are the things that take us away from having more Zen in our lives. And I think things that can help us be more present and be um, without distraction, you know, help us have more Zen in our lives. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and hearing about your book, award-winning book, (laughs) Be Human, Lead Human. And I'll put your website and how to buy your book and connect with you and take the quiz in the show notes. So thank you for being on my show today, Dr. Nash. Oh, thank you so much, Trista. I've enjoyed it so much and it was a pleasure meeting you. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.